Lord's Day, March 9. Preached from Luke 1038-42. The word of God was attended with power and energy upon the audience. Numbers were affected and concerned to obtain the one thing needful. And sundry that have given good evidences of being truly gracious, were much affected with a sense of their want of spirituality. And saw the need they stood in of growing in grace. And most that had been under any impressions of divine things in times past, seemed now to have those impressions revived in the afternoon proposed to have catechized in my usual method. But while we were engaged in the first prayer in the Indian language, as usual, a great part of the assembly was so much moved, and affected with divine things, that I thought it seasonable and proper to omit the proposing of questions for that time, and insist upon the most practical truths and accordingly did so. Making a further improvement of the passage of scripture I discoursed upon in the former part of the day. There appeared to be a powerful divine influence in the congregation. Sundry that I have reason to think are truly pious, were so deeply affected with a sense of their own barrenness, and their unworthy treatment of the blessed Redeemer, that they looked on him as pierced by themselves, and mourned, yea, some of them were in bitterness as for a firstborn. Some poor awakened sinners also appeared to be in anguish of soul to obtain an interest in Christ. So that there was a great mourning in the assembly. Many heavy groans, sobs, and tears. And one or two persons newly come among us, were considerably awakened. Methinks it would have refreshed the heart of any who truly loves Zion's interest, to have been in the midst of this divine influence, and seen the effects of it upon saints and sinners. The place of divine worship appeared both solemn and sweet, and was so endeared by a display of the divine presence and grace, that those who had any relish of divine things, could not but cry, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! After public worship was over, numbers came to my house, where we sang and discoursed of divine things in the presence of God seemed here also to be in the midst of us. While we were singing, there was one the woman mentioned in my journal of February 9th who, I may venture to say, if I may be allowed to say so much of any person I ever saw, was filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, and could not but burst forth in prayer and praises to God before us all, with many tears, crying sometimes in English and sometimes in Indian, O blessed Lord, do come, do come. O do take me away, do let me die and go to Jesus Christ. I am afraid if I live I shall sin again. Oh do let me die now. Oh dear Jesus, do come. I cannot stay, I cannot stay. Oh how can I live in this world? Do take my soul away from this sinful place. Oh let me never sin any more. Oh what shall I do, what shall I do? Dear Jesus, oh dear Jesus, etc. In this ecstasy she continued some time, uttering these and such like expressions incessantly. And the grand argument she used with God to take her away immediately, was, that if she lived, she should sin against him. When she had a little recovered herself, I asked her, if Christ was not now sweet to her soul. Whereupon, turning to me with tears in her eyes, and with all the tokens of deep humility I ever saw in any person, she said, I have many times heard you speak of the goodness and the sweetness of Christ, that he was better than all the world. But oh! I knew nothing what you meant, I never believed you. I never believed you. But now I know it is true. Or words to that effect. I answered, and do you see enough in Christ for the greatest of sinners? 
She replied, Oh, enough, enough. For all the sinners in the world if they would but come. And when I asked her, if she could not tell them of the goodness of Christ, turning herself about to some poor Christless souls who stood by, and were much affected, she said, Oh, there is enough in Christ for you, if you would but come. Oh strive, strive to give up your hearts to him. Etc. And upon hearing something of the glory of heaven mentioned, that there was no sin in that world, etc. She again fell into the same ecstasy of joy, and desire of Christ's coming. Repeating her former expressions, O oh dear Lord, do let me go. Oh what shall I do, what shall I do? I want to go to Christ. I cannot live. Oh do let me die. Etc. She continued in this sweet frame for more than two hours, before she was well able to get home. I am very sensible there may be great joys, arising even to an ecstasy, where there is still no substantial evidence of their being well grounded. But in the present case there seemed to be no evidence wanting, in order to prove this joy to be divine, either in regard of its preparatives, attendance, or consequence. Of all the persons I have seen under spiritual exercise, I scarce ever saw one appear more bound and broken under convictions of sin and misery or what is usually called the preparatory work than this woman. Nor scarce any who seemed to have a greater acquaintance with her own heart than she had. She would frequently complain to me of the hardness and rebellion of her heart. Would tell me, her heart rose and quarreled with God, when she thought he would do with her as he pleased, and send her to hell notwithstanding her prayers, good frames, etc. That her heart was not willing to come to Christ for salvation, but tried everywhere else for help. And as she seemed to be remarkably sensible of her stubbornness and contrariety to God, under conviction, so she appeared to be no less remarkably bowed and reconciled to divine sovereignty before she obtained any relief or comfort something of which I have before noticed in my journal of February 9th. Since which time she has seemed constantly to breathe the spirit and temper of the new creature crying after Christ, not through fear of hell as before, but with strong desires after him as her only satisfying portion. And has many times wept and sobbed bitterly, because as she apprehended she did not and could not love him. When I have sometimes asked her, why she appeared so sorrowful, and whether it was because she was afraid of hell, she would answer, No, I be not distressed about that. But my heart is so wicked I cannot love Christ. And thereupon burst out into tears. But although this has been the habitual frame of her mind for several weeks together, so that the exercise of grace appeared evident to others, yet she seemed wholly insensible of it herself, and never had any remarkable comfort and sensible satisfaction till this evening. This sweet and surprising ecstasy appeared to spring from a true spiritual discovery of the glory, ravishing beauty, and excellency of Christ and not from any gross imaginary notions of his human nature, such as that of seeing him in such a place or posture, as hanging on the cross, as bleeding, dying, as gently smiling, and the like, which delusions some have been carried away with. Nor did it rise from sordid, selfish apprehensions of her having any benefit whatsoever conferred on her, but from a view of his personal excellency, and transcendent loveliness, which drew forth those vehement desires of enjoying him she now manifested, and made her long to be absent from the body that she might be present with the Lord. The attendants of this ravishing comfort, were such as abundantly discovered its spring to be divine, and that it was truly a joy in the Holy Ghost, 
Now she viewed divine truths as living realities. And could say, I know these things are so, I feel they are true. Now her soul was resigned to the divine will in the most tender points. So that when I said to her, what if God should take away your husband from you, who was then very sick, how do you think you could bear that? She replied, he belongs to God, and not to me. He may do with him just what he pleases. Now she had the most tender sense of the evil of sin, and discovered the utmost aversion to it. Longing to die that she might be delivered from it. Now she could freely trust her all with God for time and eternity. And when I questioned her, how she could be willing to die, and leave her little infant. And what she thought would become of it in that case. She answered, God will take care of it. It belongs to him, he will take care of it. Now she appeared to have the most humbling sense of her own meanness and unworthiness, her weakness and inability to preserve herself from sin, and to persevere in the way of holiness, crying, If I alive, I shall sin. And I then thought I had never seen such an appearance of ecstasy and humility meeting in any one person in all my life before. The consequence of this joy are no less desirable and satisfactory than its attendants. She since appears to be a most tender, broken-hearted, affectionate, devout, and humble Christian, as exemplary in life and conversation as any person in my congregation. May she still grow in grace, and in the knowledge of Christ. March 10th. Toward night the Indians met together of their own accord, and sang, prayed, and discoursed of divine things among themselves. At which time there was much affection among them. Some who were hopefully gracious, appeared to be melted with divine things and some others seemed much concerned for their souls. Perceiving their engagement and affection in religious exercises, I went among them, and prayed, and gave a word of exhortation. And observed two or three somewhat affected and concerned, who scarce ever appeared to be under any religious impressions before. It seemed to be a day and evening of divine power. Numbers retained the warm impressions of divine things that had been made upon their minds the day before. March 14th was visited by a considerable number of my people, and spent some time in religious exercises with them. March 15th in the evening Kateshized. My people answered the questions put to them with surprising readiness and judgment. There appeared some warmth and feeling sense of divine things among those, who, I have reason to hope, are real Christians, while I was discoursing upon peace of conscience, and joy in the Holy Ghost. These seemed quickened and enlivened in divine service, though there was not so much appearance of concern among those I have reason to think in a Christless state. Lord's Day, March 16th. Preached to my congregation from Hebrews 2 and 3. Divine truth seemed to have some considerable influence upon many of the hearers, and produced many tears, as well as heavy sighs and sobs, among both those who have given evidences of being real Christians and others also and the impressions made upon the audience appeared in general deep and heart affecting, not superficial, noisy, and affected. Torb Knight discoursed again on the great salvation. The word was again attended with some power upon the audience. Numbers wept affectionately, and to appearance, unfeignedly. So that the Spirit of God seemed to be moving upon the face of the assembly. Baptized the woman particularly mentioned in my journal of last Lord's Day, who now, as well as then, appeared to be in the devout, humble, and excellent frame of mind. My house being thronged with my people in the evening, 
I spent the time in religious exercises with them till my nature was almost spent. They are so unweird in religious exercises, and insatiable in their thirsting after Christian knowledge, that I can sometimes scarce avoid laboring so as greatly to exhaust my strength and spirits. March 19th. Sundry of the persons that went with me to the forks of Delaware in February last, having been detained there by the dangerous illness of one of their company, returned home but this day. Whereupon my people generally met together of their own accord, in order to spend some time in religious exercises. And especially to give thanks to God for his preserving goodness to those who had been absent from them for several weeks, and recovering mercy to him who had been sick. And that he had now returned them all in safety. I being then absent, they desired my schoolmaster to assist them in carrying on their religious solemnity. Who tells me they appeared engaged in affectionate and repeated prayer, singing etc. March 22nd. Kateshized in my usual method in the evening. My people answered questions to my great satisfaction. There appeared nothing very remarkable in the assembly, considering what has been common among us. Although I may justly say, the strict attention, the tenderness and affection, the many tears and heart-affecting sobs, appearing in numbers in the assembly, would have been very remarkable, were it not that God has made these things common with us, and even with strangers soon after their coming among us, from time to time. I am far from thinking that every appearance, and particular instance of affection, that has been among us, has been truly genuine, and purely from a divine influence. I am sensible of the contrary. And doubt not but that there has been some corrupt mixture, some chaff as well as wheat, especially since religious concern became so common and prevalent here. Lord's Day, March 23rd. There being about fifteen strangers, adult persons, come among us in the week past divers of whom had never been in any religions meeting till now I thought it proper to discourse this day in a manner peculiarly suited to their circumstances and capacities and accordingly attempted it from Hosea 13.9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, etc. In the forenoon I opened, in the plainest manner I could, man's apostasy and ruined state, after having spoken some things respecting the being and perfections of God, and his creation of man in a state of uprightness and happiness. In the afternoon indeed were to open the glorious provision God has made for the redemption of apostate creatures, by giving his own dear Son to suffer for them, and satisfy divine justice on their behalf. There was not that affection and concern in the assembly that has been common among us, although there was a desirable attention appearing in general, and even in most of the strangers. Near Sun said I felt an uncommon concern upon my mind, especially for the poor strangers, that God had so much withheld his presence, and the powerful influence of his spirit, from the assembly in the exercises of the day, and thereby denied them of that matter of conviction which I hoped they might have had and in this frame I visited sundry houses, and discoursed with some concern and affection to divers persons particularly. But without much appearance of success, till I came to a house where divers of the strangers were. And there the solemn truths I discoursed of appeared to take effect, first upon some children, then upon divers adult persons that had been somewhat awakened before, and afterwards upon several of the pagan strangers. I continued my discourse with some fervency, till almost everyone in the house was melted into tears. And divers wept aloud, and appeared earnestly concerned to obtain an interest in Christ. Upon this, 
numbers soon gathered from all the houses round about, and so thronged the place, that we were obliged to remove to the house where we usually meet for public worship. And the congregation gathering immediately, and many appeared remarkably affected, I discoursed some time from Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek, etc. Endeavoring to open the mercy, compassion, and concern of Christ for lost, helpless, and undone sinners. There was much visible concern and affection in the assembly. And I doubt not but that a divine influence accompanied what was spoken to the hearts of many. There were five or six of the strangers, men and women, who appeared to be considerably awakened. And in particular one very rugged young man, who seemed as if nothing would move him, was now brought to tremble like the jailer, and weep for a long time. The pagans that were awakened seemed at once to put off their savage roughness and pagan manners, and became sociable, orderly, and humane in their carriage. When they first came, I exhorted my religious people to take pains with them as they had done with other strangers from time to time to instruct them in Christianity. But when some of them attempted something of that nature, the strangers would soon rise up and walk to other houses, in order to avoid the hearing of such discourses. Whereupon some of the serious persons agreed to disperse themselves into the several parts of the settlement. So that wherever the strangers went, they met with some instructive discourse, and warm addresses respecting their soul's concern. But now there was no need of using policy in order to get an opportunity of conversing with some of them about their spiritual concerns. For they were so far touched with the sense of their perishing state, as made them tamely yield to the closest addresses that were made them, respecting their sin and misery, their need of an acquaintance with, an interest in, the Great Redeemer. March 24th. Numbered the Indians, to see how many souls God had gathered together here, since my coming into these parts. And found there was now about a hundred and thirty persons together, old and young. Sundry of those that are my stated hearers, perhaps to the number of fifteen or twenty, were absent at the season. So that if all had been together, the number would now have been very considerable especially considering how few were together at my first coming into these parts, the whole number not amounting to ten persons at that time. My people went out this day upon the design of clearing some of their land, above fifteen miles distant from this settlement, in order to their settling there in a compact form where they might be under advantages of attending the public worship of God, of having their children taught in a school, and at the same time have a conveniency for planting, etc. Their land in the place of our present residence being of little or no value for that purpose. And the design of their settling thus in a body, and cultivating their lands, which they have done very little in their pagan state, being of such necessity and importance to their religious interest, as well as worldly comfort, I thought it proper to call them together, and show them the duty of laboring with faithfulness and industry and that they must not now be slothful in business, as they had ever been in their pagan state. I indeed were to press the importance of their being laborious, diligent, and vigorous in the prosecution of their business, especially at the present juncture, the season of planting being now near, in order to their being in the capacity of living together, and enjoying the means of grace and instruction and having given them directions for their work, which they very much wanted, as well as for their behavior in divers respects, I explained, saying, and indeed were to inculcate upon them some 127 common meter, Dr. Watts's version, and having recommended them, and the design of their going forth, to God, by prayer with them, 
I dismissed them to their business in the evening read and expounded to those of my people who were yet at home, and the strangers newly come, the substance of the third chapter of the Acts. Numbers seemed to melt under the word, especially while I was discoursing upon verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, etc. Sundry of the strangers also were affected. When I asked them afterwards, whether they did not now feel that their hearts were wicked, as I had taught them. One replied, yes, she felt it now. Although before she came here upon hearing that I taught the Indians their hearts were all bad by nature, and needed to be changed and made good by the power of God she has said, her heart was not wicked, and she never had done anything that was bad in her life. And this indeed seems to be the case with them, I think, universally in their pagan state. They seem to have no consciousness of sin and guilt, unless they can charge themselves with some gross acts of sin contrary to the commands of the second table. March 27th. Discourse to a number of my people in one of their houses in a more private manner. Inquired particularly into their spiritual states, in order to see what impressions of a religious nature they were under. Laid before them the marks and tokens of a regenerate, as well as unregenerate, state and indeed were to suit and direct my discourse to them severally, according as I apprehended their states to be. There was a considerable number gathered together before I finished my discourse. And divers seemed much affected, while I was urging the necessity and infinite importance of getting into a renewed state. I find particular and close dealing with souls in private, is often very successful. March 29th in the evening Kateshized as usual upon Saturday. Treated upon the benefits which believers receive from Christ at death. The questions were answered with great readiness and propriety. And those who, I have reason to think, are the dear people of God, were sweetly melted almost in general. There appeared such a liveliness and vigor in their attendance upon the word of God, and such eagerness to be made partakers of the benefits then mentioned, that they seemed to be not only looking for, but hasting to, the coming of the day of God. Divine truth seemed to distill upon the audience with a gentle but melting efficacy, as the refreshing showers upon the new mown grass. The assembly in general, as well as those who appear truly religious, were affected with some brief account of the blessedness of the godly at death and most then discovered an affectionate inclination to cry, let me die the death of the righteous, etc. Although many were not duly engaged to obtain the change of heart that is necessary in order to that blessed end. Lord's Day, March 30th. Discoursed from Matthew 25:31-40. There was a very considerable moving and affectionate melting in the assembly. I hope there were some real, deep, and abiding impressions of divine things made upon the minds of many. There was one aged man, newly come among us, who appeared to be considerably awakened, that never was touched with any concern for his soul before in the evening Kateshized. There was not that tenderness and melting engagement among God's people that appeared the evening before, and many other times. They answered the questions distinctly and well, and were devout and attentive in divine service. March 31st. Called my people together, as I had done the Monday morning before, and discoursed to them again on the necessity and importance of their laboring industriously, in order to their living together, and enjoying the means of grace, etc and having engaged in solemn prayer to God among them, for a blessing upon their attempts, I dismissed them to their work. Numbers of them, both men and women, 
seemed to offer themselves willingly to the service. And some appeared affectionately concerned that God might go with them, and begin their little town for them. That by his blessing it might be a place comfortable for them and theirs, in regard both of procuring, the necessaries of life, and of attending the worship of God. April 5. Katesh eyes towards evening. There appeared to be some affection and fervent engagement in divine service through the assembly in general. Especially towards the conclusion of my discourse. After public worship, a number of those I have reason to think are truly religious, came to my house, and seemed eager for some further entertainment upon divine things. And while I was conversing with them about their spiritual exercises, observing to them, that God's work in the hearts of all his children was, for substance, the same and that their trials and temptations were also alike, and showing the obligations such were under to love one another in a peculiar manner. They seemed to be melted into tenderness and affection toward each other and I thought that particular token of their being the disciples of Christ, namely of their having love one toward another, had scarce ever appeared more evident than at this time. Lord's Day, April 6th. Preached from Matthew 7 not every one that saith unto me, etc. There were considerable effects of the word visible in the audience, and such as were a very desirable and earnest attention, a great solemnity, many tears and heavy sighs, which were modestly suppressed in a considerable measure, and appeared unaffected, and without any indecent commotion of the passions. Divers of the religious people were put upon serious and close examination of their spiritual states, by hearing that not every one that saith to Christ, Lord, Lord, shall enter into his kingdom. And some of them expressed fears lest they had deceived themselves, and taken up a false hope, because they found they had done so little of the will of his Father who is in heaven. There was one man brought under very great and pressing concern for his soul, which appeared more especially after his retirement from public worship, and that which, he says, gave him his great uneasiness, was, not so much any particular sin, as that he had never done the will of God at all, but had sinned continually, and so had no claim to the kingdom of heaven in the afternoon I opened to them the discipline of Christ in his church, and the method in which offenders are to be dealt with, at which time the religious people were much affected, especially when they heard, that the offender continuing obstinate, must finally be esteemed and treated as a heathen man, as a pagan, that has no part nor lot among God's visible people. Of this they seem to have the most awful apprehensions. A state of heathenism, out of which they were so lately brought, appearing very dreadful to them. After public worship I visited sundry houses to see how they spent the remainder of the Sabbath, and to treat with them solemnly on the great concerns of their souls and the Lord seemed to smile upon my private endeavors, and to make these particular and personal addresses more effectual upon some, than my public discourses. April 7th Discourse to my people in the evening from 1 Corinthians 11 23-26. For I have received of the Lord, etc. And indeed were to open to them the institution, nature, and ends of the Lord's Supper, as well as the qualifications and preparations necessary to the right participation of that ordinance. Sundry persons appeared much affected with the love of Christ manifested in his making this provision for the comfort of his people, at a season when himself was just entering upon his sharpest sufferings. Lord's Day, April 20th. Discoursed both forenoon and afternoon from Luke 24 explaining most of the chapter, and making remarks upon it. 
There was a desirable attention in the audience, though there was not so much appearance of affection and tenderness among them as has been usual. Our meeting was very full, there being sundry strangers present, who had never been with us before in the evening Kateshized. My people answered the questions proposed to them readily and distinctly. And I could perceive they advanced in their knowledge of the principles of Christianity. There appeared an affectionate melting in the assembly at this time. Sundry who, I trust, are truly religious, were refreshed and quickened, and seemed by their discourse and behavior, after public worship, to have their hearts knit together in love. This was a sweet and blessed season, like many others that my poor people have been favored within months past. God has caused this little fleece to be repeatedly wet with the blessed dews of his divine grace, while all the earth around has been comparatively dry. April 25th. Of late I apprehended that a number of persons in my congregation were proper subjects of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and that it might be seasonable speedily to administer it to them and having taken advice of some of the reverend correspondents in this solemn affair. I accordingly proposed and appointed the next Lord's Day, with leave of divine providence, for the administration of this ordinance. And this day, as preparatory thereto, was set apart for solemn fasting and prayer. The design of this preparatory solemnity was to implore the blessing of God upon our renewing covenant with Him and with one another, to walk together in the fear of God, in love and Christian fellowship and to entreat that His presence might be with us in our designed approach to His table, as well as to humble ourselves before God on account of the apparent withdrawal at least in a measure of that blessed influence which has been so prevalent upon persons of all ages among us as also on account of the rising appearance of carelessness, vanity, and vice among some, who, sometime since, appeared to be touched and affected with divine truths, and brought to some sensibility of their miserable and perishing state by nature. And that we might also importunately pray for the peaceable settlement of the Indians together in a body, that they might be a commodious congregation for the worship of God and that God would blast and defeat all the attempts that were or might be made against that pious design. The solemnity was observed and seriously attended, not only by those who proposed to communicate at the Lord's table, but by the whole congregation universally. In the former part of the day, I indeed were to open to my people the nature and design of a fast, as I had attempted more briefly to do before, and to instruct them in the duties of such a solemnity. In the afternoon, I insisted upon the special reasons there were for our engaging in these solemn exercises at this time. Both in regard of the need we stood in of divine assistance, in order to a due preparation for that sacred ordinance some of us were proposing, with leave of divine providence, speedily to attend upon. And also in respect of the manifestic line of God's work here, as to the effectual conviction and conversion of sinners, there having been few of late deeply awakened out of a state of security. The worship of God was attended with great solemnity and reverence, with much tenderness and many tears, by those who appeared to be truly religious and there was some appearance of divine power upon those who had been awakened some time before, and who were still under concern. After repeated prayer and attendance upon the word of God, I proposed to the religious people, with as much brevity and plainness as I could, the substance of the doctrine of the Christian faith, as I had formerly done, previous to their baptism and had their renewed cheerful assent to it. I then led them to a solemn renewal of their baptismal covenant, wherein they had explicitly and publicly given up themselves to God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, avouching Him to be their God.
and at the same time renouncing their heavenish vanities, their idolatrous and superstitious practices, and solemnly engaging to take the word of God, so far as it was, or might be, made known to them, for the rule of their lives, promising to walk together in love, to watch over themselves, and one another. To lead lives of seriousness and devotion, and to discharge the relative duties incumbent upon them respectively, etc. The solemn transaction was attended with much gravity and seriousness, and at the same time with utmost readiness, freedom, and cheerfulness. And a religious union and harmony of soul seemed to crown the whole solemnity. I could not but think in the evening, that there had been manifest tokens of the Divine Presence with us in all the several services of the day. Though it was also manifest there was not that concern among Christless souls that has often appeared here. April 26th. Toward noon prayed with the dying child, and gave a word of exhortation to the bystanders to prepare for death, which seemed to take effect upon some. In the afternoon discourse to my people from Matthew 26-26-30 of the author, the nature, and design of the Lord's Supper. And indeed were to point out the worthy receivers of that ordinance. The religious people were affected, and even melted with divine truths, with a view of the dying love of Christ. Sundry others who had been for some months under convictions of their perishing state, appeared now to be much moved with concern, and afresh engaged in seeking after an interest in Christ. Although I cannot say the word of God appeared so quick and powerful, so sharp and piercing to the assembly, as it had sometimes formerly done. Baptized two adult persons, both serious and exemplary in their lives, and, I hope, truly religious. One of them was the man particularly mentioned in my journal of the sixth instant, who, although he was then greatly distressed, because he had never done the will of God, has since, it is hoped, obtained spiritual comfort upon good grounds in the evening I catechized those that were designed to partake of the Lord's Supper the next day, upon the institution, nature, and end of that ordinance, and had abundant satisfaction respecting their doctrinal knowledge and fitness in that respect for an attendance upon it. They likewise appeared, in general, to have an affecting sense of the solemnity of this sacred ordinance, and to be humbled under a sense of their own unworthiness to approach to God in it and to be earnestly concerned that they might be duly prepared for an attendance upon it. Their hearts were full of love one toward another, and that was the frame of mind they seemed much concerned to maintain, and bring to the Lord's table with them. In the singing and prayer, after catechizing, there appeared an agreeable tenderness and melting among them, and such tokens of brotherly love and affection, that would even constrain one to say, Lord, it is good to be here. It is good to dwell where such a heavenly influence distills. Lord's Day, April 27th. Preached from Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us, etc. The word of God at this time was attended with some appearance of divine power upon the assembly. So that the attention and gravity of the audience was remarkable. And especially towards the conclusion of the exercise, divers persons were much affected and administered the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to twenty-three persons of the Indians, the number of men and women being near equal, divers others, to the number of five or six, being now absent at the forks of Delaware, who would otherwise have communicated with us the ordinance was attended with great solemnity, and with a most desirable tenderness and affection. And it was remarkable, that in the season of the performance of the sacramental actions, especially in the distribution of the bread, 
they seemed to be affected in the most lively manner, as if Christ had been really crucified before them. And the words of the institution, when repeated and enlarged upon in the season of the administration, seemed to meet with the same reception, to be entertained with the same full and firm belief and affectionate engagement of soul, as if the Lord Jesus Christ himself had been present, and had personally spoken to them. The affections of the communicants, although considerably raised, were notwithstanding agreeably regulated, and kept within proper bounds so that there was a sweet, gentle, and affectionate melting, without any indecent or boisterous commotion of the passions. Having rested some time after the administration of the sacrament, being extremely tired with the necessary prolixity of the work, I walked from house to house, and conversed particularly with most of the communicants, and found they had been almost universally refreshed at the Lord's table as with new wine. And never did I see such an appearance of Christian love among any people in all my life. It was so remarkable, that one might well have cried with an agreeable surprise, Behold how they love one another! I think there could be no greater tokens of mutual affection among the people of God in the early days of Christianity, than what now appeared here. The sight was so desirable, and so well becoming the gospel, that nothing less could be said of it, than that it was the doing of the Lord, the genuine operations of Him, who is love. Torb Knight discoursed again on the forementioned Titus 2.14 and insisted on the immediate end and design of Christ's death, namely that he might redeem his people from all iniquity, etc. This appeared to be a season of divine power among us. The religious people were much refreshed, and seemed remarkably tender and affectionate, full of love, joy, peace, and desirous of being completely redeemed from all iniquity. So that some of them afterwards told me they had never felt the like before. Convictions also appeared to be revived in many instances and divers persons were awakened whom I had never observed under any religious impressions before. Such was the influence that attended our assembly, and so unspeakably desirable the frame of mind that many enjoyed in the divine service, that it seemed almost grievous to conclude the public worship. And the congregation when dismissed, although it was then almost dark, appeared loth to leave the place and employments that had been rendered so dear to them by the benefits enjoyed while a blessed quickening influence distilled upon them. And upon the whole, I must say, I had great satisfaction relative to the administration of this ordinance in divers respects. I have abundant reason to think, that those who came to the Lord's table, had a good degree of doctrinal knowledge of the nature and design of the ordinance. And that they acted with understanding in what they did in the preparatory services I found, I may justly say, uncommon freedom in opening to their understandings and capacities, the covenant of grace, and in showing them the nature of this ordinance as a seal of that covenant. Although many of them knew of no such thing as a seal before my coming among them, or at least of the use and design of it in the common affairs of life, they were likewise thoroughly sensible that it was no more than a seal or sign, and not the real body and blood of Christ that it was designed for the refreshment and edification of the soul, and not for the feasting of the body. They were also acquainted with the end of the ordinance, that they were therein called to commemorate the dying love of Christ, etc. And this competency of doctrinal knowledge, together with their grave and decent attendance upon the ordinance, their affectionate melting under it, and the sweet and Christian frame of mind they discovered consequent upon it, gave me great satisfaction respecting my administration of it to them. And oh what a sweet and blessed season was this!
God himself, I am persuaded, was in the midst of his people, attending his own ordinances. And I doubt not but many in the conclusion of the day, could say, with their whole hearts, verily, a day thus spent in God's house, is better than a thousand elsewhere. There seemed to be but one heart among the pious people. The sweet union, harmony, and endearing love and tenderness subsisting among them, was, I thought, the most lively emblem of the heavenly world I had ever seen. April 28th Concluded the sacramental solemnity with a discourse upon John 14:15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. At which time there appeared a very agreeable tenderness in the audience in general, but especially in the communicants. Oh how free, how engaged, and affectionate did these appear in the service of God. They seemed willing to have their ears bored to the doorposts of God's house, and to be his servants forever. Observing numbers in this excellent frame, and the assembly in general affected, and that by a divine influence, I thought it proper to improve this advantageous season, as Hezekiah did the desirable season of his great Passover, 2 Cron. 31 inches order to promote the blessed reformation begun among them, and to engage those that appeared serious and religious to persevere therein, and accordingly proposed to them, that they should renewedly enter into covenant before God, that they would watch over themselves and one another, lest they should dishonor the name of Christ by falling into sinful and unbecoming practices, and especially that they would watch against the sin of drunkenness, the sin that easily besets them, and the temptations leading thereto as well as the appearance of evil in that respect. They cheerfully complied with the proposal, and explicitly joined in that covenant. Whereupon I proceeded in the most solemn manner I was capable of, to call God to witness respecting their sacred engagement, and minded them of the greatness of the guilt they would contract to themselves in the violation of it, as well as observed to them, that God would be a terrible witness against those who should presume to do so, in the great and notable day of the Lord. It was a season of amazing solemnity. And a divine awe appeared upon the face of the whole assembly in this transaction. Affectionate sobs, sighs, and tears, were now frequent in the audience and I doubt not but that many silent cries were then sent up to the fountain of grace, for supplies of grace sufficient for the fulfillment of these solemn engagements. Baptized six children this day. Lord's Day, May 4th. My people being now removed to their lands, mentioned in my journal of March 24th, where they were then, and have since been, making provision for a compact settlement, in order to their more convenient enjoyment of the gospel, and other means of instruction, as well as the comforts of life. I this day visited them, being now obliged to board with an English family at some distance from them, and preached to them in the forenoon for Mark 4-5. And some fell on stony ground, etc. Indeed were to show them the reason there was to fear lest many promising appearances and hopeful beginnings in religion, might grow abortive, like the seed dropped upon stony places. In the afternoon discoursed upon Romans 8-9. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I have reason to think this discourse was peculiarly seasonable, and that it had a good effect upon some of the hearers. Spent some hours afterwards in private conferences with my people and labored to regulate some things I apprehended amiss among some of them. May 5th. Visited my people again, and took care of their worldly concerns, giving them directions relating to their business. I daily discover more and more of what importance it is like to be to their religious interests, 
that they become laborious and industrious, acquainted with the affairs of husbandry, and able, in a good measure, to raise the necessaries and comforts of life within themselves. For their present method of living greatly exposes them to temptations of various kinds. May 9th. Preach from John 5:40, And ye will not come to me, etc. in the open wilderness. The Indians having as yet no house for public worship in this place, nor scarce any shelters for themselves. Divine truths made considerable impressions upon the audience, and it was a season of solemnity, tenderness, and affection. Baptize one man this day, the conjurer, murderer, etc. mentioned in my journal of August 8, 1745, and February 1, 1746, who appears to be such a remarkable instance of divine grace, that I cannot omit some brief account of him here. He lived near, and sometimes attended my meeting in, the forks of Delaware for more than a year together. But was, like many others of them, extremely attached to strong drink, and seemed to be no ways reformed by the means I used with them for their instruction and conversion. At this time he likewise murdered a likely young Indian, which threw him into some kind of horror and desperation, so that he kept at a distance from me, and refused to hear me preach for several months together, till I had an opportunity of conversing freely with him, and giving him encouragement, that his sin might be forgiven for Christ's sake. After which he again attended my meeting sometimes. But that which was the worst of all his conduct, was his conjuration. He was one of them who are sometimes called Pawos among the Indians and notwithstanding his frequent attendance upon my preaching, he still followed his old charms and juggling tricks, giving out that himself was some great one, and to him they gave heed, supposing him to be possessed of a great power. So that when I have instructed them respecting the miracles wrought by Christ in healing the sick, etc. and mentioned them as evidences of his divine mission, and the truth of his doctrine, they have quickly observed the wonders of that kind which this man had performed by his magic charms. Whence they had a high opinion of him, and his superstitious notions, which seemed to be a fatal obstruction to some of them in regard of their receiving the gospel. And I have often thought it would be a great favor to the design of gospelizing these Indians, if God would take that wretch out of the world. For I had scarce any hope of his ever coming to good. But God, whose thoughts are not as man's thoughts, has been pleased to take a much more desirable method with him. A method agreeable to his own merciful nature, and, I trust, advantageous to his own interest among the Indians, as well as effectual to the salvation of this poor soul. To God be the glory of it. The first genuine concern for a soul that ever appeared in him, was excited by seeing my interpreter and his wife baptized at the Forks of Delaware, July 21, 1745. Which so prevailed upon him, that with the invitation of an Indian, who was a friend to Christianity, he followed me down to Crossweeksong in the beginning of August following, in order to hear me preach, and there continued for several weeks in the season of the most remarkable and powerful awakening among the Indians. At which time he was more effectually awakened, and brought under great concern for his soul. And then, he says, upon his feeling the word of God in his heart, as he expresses it, his spirit of conjuration left him entirely. That he had no more power of that nature since, than any other man living. And declares that he does not now so much as know how he used to charm and conjure. And that he could not do anything of that nature if he was never so desirous of it. He continued under convictions of his sinful and perishing state, 
and a considerable degree of concern for his soul, all the fall and former part of the winter passed, but was not so deeply exercised till some time in January. And then the word of God took such hold upon him, that he was brought into great distress, and knew not what to do, nor where to turn himself. He then told me, that when he used to hear me preach from time to time in the fall of the year, my preaching pricked his heart and made him very uneasy, but did not bring him to so great distress, because he still hoped he could do something for his own relief but now, he said, I drove him up into such a sharp corner, that he had no way to turn, and could not avoid being in distress. He continued constantly under the heavy burden and pressure of a wounded spirit, till at length he was brought into the acute anguish and utmost agony of soul, mentioned in my journal of February 1st, which continued that night, and part of the next day. After this, he was brought to the utmost calmness and composure of mind, his trembling and heavy burden was removed, and he appeared perfectly sedate. Although he had, to his apprehensions, scarce any hope of salvation, I observed him to appear remarkably composed, and thereupon asked him how he did. He replied, It is done, it is done, it is all done now. I asked him what he meant. He answered, I can never do any more to save myself. It is all done forever, I can do no more. I queried with him, whether he could not do a little more rather than to go to hell. He replied, My heart is dead, I can never help myself. I asked him, what he thought would become of him then. He answered, I must go to hell. I asked him if he thought it was right that God should send him to hell? He replied, Oh it is right. The devil has been on me ever since I was born. I asked him if he felt this when he was in such great distress the evening before? He answered, No, I did not then think it was right. I thought God would send me to hell, and that I was then dropping into it. But my heart quarreled with God, and would not say it was right he should send me there. But now I know it is right, for I have always served the devil, and my heart has no goodness in it now, but is as bad as ever it was, etc. I thought I had scarce ever seen any person more effectually brought off from a dependence upon his own contrivances and endeavors for salvation, or more apparently to lie at the foot of sovereign mercy than this man now did under these views of things in this frame of mind he continued for several days, passing sentence of condemnation upon himself, and constantly owning, that it would be right he should be damned, and that he expected this would be his portion for the greatness of his sins. And yet it was plain he had a secret hope of mercy, though imperceptible to himself, which kept him not only from despair, but from any pressing distress so that instead of being sad and dejected, his very countenance appeared pleasant and agreeable. While he was in this frame, he sundry times asked me, when I would preach again, and seemed desirous to hear the word of God every day. I asked him why he wanted to hear me preach, seeing his heart was dead, and all was done? That he could never help himself, and expected that he must go to hell? He replied, I love to hear you speak about Christ for all. I added, but what good will that do, if you must go to hell at last? Using now his own language with him. Having before, from time to time, laboured in the best manner I could, to represent to him the excellency of Christ, his all-sufficiency and willingness to save lost sinners, and persons just in his case. Although to no purpose, as to yielding him any special comfort, he answered, I would have others come to Christ, if I must go to hell myself. 
it was remarkable, that he seemed to have a great love to the people of God, and nothing affected him so much as the thoughts of being separated from them. This seemed to be a very dreadful part of the hell to which he thought himself doomed. It was likewise remarkable, that on this season he was most diligent in the use of all means for his soul's salvation. Although he had the clearest view of the insufficiency of means to afford him help, and would frequently say, that all he did signified nothing at all, and yet was never more constant in doing, attending secret and family prayer daily, and surprisingly diligent and attentive in hearing the word of God so that he neither despaired of mercy, nor yet presumed to hope upon his own doings, but used means because appointed of God in order to salvation, and because he would wait upon God in his own way. After he had continued in this frame of mind more than a week, while I was discoursing publicly he seemed to have a lively soul-refreshing view of the excellency of Christ, and the way of salvation by him, which melted him into tears, and filled him with admiration, comfort, satisfaction, and praise to God. Since then he has appeared to be an humble, devout, and affectionate Christian. Serious and exemplary in his conversation and behavior, frequently complaining of his barrenness, his want of spiritual warmth, life, and activity, and yet frequently favored with quickening and refreshing influences. And in all respects, so far as I am capable to judge, he bears the marks and characters of one created anew in Christ Jesus to good works. His deal for the cause of God was pleasing to me when he was with me at the forts of Delaware in February last. There being an old Indian at the place where I preached, who threatened to bewitch me and my religious people who accompanied me there. This man presently challenged him to do his worst, telling him that himself had been as great a conjurer as he, and that notwithstanding, as soon as he felt that word in his heart which these people loved, meaning the word of God, his power of conjuring immediately left him. And so it would you, said he, if you did but once feel it in your heart. And you have no power to hurt them, nor so much as to touch one of them, etc. So that I may conclude my account of him by observing in allusion to what was said of St. Paul, that he now zealously defends, and practically preaches, the faith which he once destroyed, or at least was instrumental of obstructing. May God have the glory of the amazing change he has wrought in him. Lord's Day, May 18th. Discoursed both parts of the day from Rev. 320. Behold, I stand at the door, etc. There appeared some affectionate melting towards the conclusion of the forenoon exercise and one or two instances of fresh awakening. In the intermission of public worship, I took occasion to discourse to numbers in a more private way, on the kindness and patience of the blessed Redeemer in standing and knocking, in continuing his gracious calls to sinners, who had long neglected and abused his grace, which seemed to take some effect upon sundry in the afternoon divine truths were attended with solemnity, and with some tears, although there was not that powerful, awakening, and quickening influence, which in times past has been common in our assemblies. The appearance of the audience under divine truths was comparatively discouraging and I was ready to fear that God was about to withdraw the blessed influence of His Spirit from us. May 19th. Visited and preached to my people from Acts 20:18-19. And when they were come to Him, He said unto them, Ye know, from the first day, etc. and indeed were to rectify their notions about religious affections showing them, on the one hand, the desirableness of religious affection, tenderness, and fervent engagement in the worship and service of God, 
When such affection flows from a true spiritual discovery of divine glories, from a justly affecting sense of the transcendent excellency and perfections of the blessed God, a view of the glory and loveliness of the great Redeemer and that such views of divine things will naturally excite us to serve the Lord with many tears, with much affection and fervency, and yet with all humility of mind. And, on the other hand, observing the sinfulness of seeking after high affections immediately, and for their own sakes, that is, of making them the object of our eye and heart, is nextly and principally set upon, when the glory of God ought to be so. Show them that if the heart be directly and chiefly fixed on God, and the soul engaged to glorify Him, some degree of religious affection will be the effect and attendant of it. But to seek after affection directly and chiefly, to have the heart principally set upon that, is to place it in the room of God and His glory if it be sought, that others may take notice and admire us for our spirituality and forwardness in religion, it is then abominable pride if for the sake of feeling the pleasure of being affected, it is then idolatry and self-gratification. Labored also to expose the disagreeableness of those affections that are sometimes wrought up in persons by the power of fancy and their own attempts for that purpose, while I still indeed were to recommend to them that religious affection, fervency, and devotion which ought to attend all our religious exercises, and without which religion will be but an empty name and lifeless carcass. This appeared to be a seasonable discourse, and proved very satisfactory to some of the religious people, who before were exercised with some difficulties relating to this point. Afterwards took care of, and gave my people directions about, their worldly affairs. May 24th. Visited the Indians, and took care of their secular business which they are not able to manage themselves, without the constant care and advice of others. Afterwards discoursed to some particularly about their spiritual concerns. Lord's Day, May 25th. Discoursed both parts of the day from John 12:44-48. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, etc. There was some degree of divine power tending the word of God. Sundry wept and appeared considerably affected and one who had long been under spiritual trouble, now obtained clearness and comfort, and appeared to rejoice in God her Savior. It was a day of grace and divine goodness. A day wherein something I trust was done for the cause of God among my people a season of sweetness and comfort to divers of the religious people, although there was not that powerful influence upon the congregation which was common some months ago. Lord's Day June 1, 1746. Preached both forenoon and afternoon from Matthew 11, 27, 28. The presence of God seemed to be in the assembly, and numbers were considerably melted and affected under divine truths. There was a desirable appearance in the congregation in general, an earnest attention and agreeable tenderness, and it seemed as if God designed to visit us with further showers of divine grace. I then baptized ten persons five adults and five children, and was not a little refreshed with this addition made to the church of such as, I hope, shall be saved. I have reason to hope that God has lately and and since our celebration of the Lord's Supper brought home to himself sundry souls who had long been under spiritual trouble and concern. Although there have been few instances of persons lately awakened out of a state of security, and those comforted of late seem to be brought in in a more silent way, neither their concern nor consolation being so powerful and remarkable as appeared among those more subtly wrought upon in the beginning of this work of grace. June 6th. 
Discourse to my people from part of Isaiah 53 The Divine Presence appeared to be amongst us in some measure. Diverse persons were much melted and refreshed. And one man in particular, who had long been under concern for his soul, was now brought to see and feel, in a very lively manner, the impossibility of his doing anything to help himself, or to bring him into the favor of God, by his tears, prayers, and other religious performances and found himself adone as to any power or goodness of his own, and that there was no way left him, but to leave himself with God to be disposed of as he pleased. June 7th. Being desired by the Reverend Mr. William Tennant to be his assistant in the administration of the Lord's Supper. My people also being invited to attend the sacramental solemnity, they cheerfully embraced the opportunity, and this day attended the preparatory services with me. Lord's Day, June 8th. Most of my people who had been communicants at the Lord's table before, being present at this sacramental occasion, communicated with others in this holy ordinance at the desire, and I trust, to the satisfaction and comfort, of numbers of God's people who had longed to see this day, and whose hearts had rejoiced in this work of grace among the Indians, which prepared the way for what appeared so agreeable at this time. Those of my people who communicated seemed in general agreeably affected at the Lord's table, and some of them considerably melted with the love of Christ. Although they were not so remarkably refreshed and feasted at this time as when I administered this ordinance to them in our own congregation only, some of the bystanders were affected with seeing these who had been aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, who if all men had lived without hope, and without God in the world, now brought near to God as his professing people, and sealing covenant with him, by a solemn and devout attendance upon this sacred ordinance. And as numbers of God's people were refreshed with this sight, and thereby excited to bless God for the enlargement of his kingdom in the world, so some others, I was told, were awakened by it, apprehending the danger they were in of being themselves finally cast out, while they saw others, from the east and west, preparing, and hopefully prepared in some good measure, to sit down in the kingdom of God. At this season others of my people also, who were not communicants, were considerably affected. Convictions were revived in divers instances. And one the man particularly mentioned in my journal of the sixth instant obtained comfort and satisfaction. And has since given me such an account of his spiritual exercises, and the manner in which he obtained relief, as appears very hopeful. It seems as if he, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, had now shined in his heart, and given him the light of, an experimental knowledge of, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. June 3rd. A considerable number of my people met together early in the day in a retired place in the woods, and prayed, sang, and conversed of divine things. And were seen by some religious persons of the white people, to be affected and engaged, and divers of them in tears, in these religious exercises. Afterwards they attended the concluding exercises of the sacramental solemnity, and then returned home, divers of them rejoicing for all the goodness of God they had seen and felt. So that this appeared to be a profitable, as well as a comfortable season, to numbers of my congregation. And their being present at this occasion, and a number of them communicating at the Lord's table with others of God's people, was, I trust, for the honor of God and the interest of religion in these parts, as numbers, I have reason to think, were quickened by means of it. June 13th. Preached to my people upon the new creature, 
from 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, etc. The presence of God appeared to be in the assembly. It was a sweet and agreeable meeting, wherein the people of God were refreshed and strengthened, beholding their faces in the glass of God's word, and finding in themselves the marks and lineaments of the new creature. Some sinners under concern were also renewedly affected, and afresh engaged for the securing of their eternal interests. Baptized five persons at this time, three adults and two children. One of these was the very aged woman, of whose exercise I gave an account in my journal of December 26th. She now gave me a very punctual, rational, and satisfactory account of the remarkable change she experienced some months after the beginning of her concern, which, I must say, appeared to be the genuine operations of the Divine Spirit, so far as I am capable of judging. And although she was become so childish through old age, that I could do nothing in the way of questioning with her, nor scarce make her understand any that I asked her. Yet when I let her alone to go on with her own story, she could give a very distinct and particular relation of the many and various exercises of soul she had experienced. So deep were the impressions left upon her mind by that influence, and that exercise she had been under. And I have great reason to hope, she is born anew in her old age, she being, I presume, upwards of four scory. I had good hopes of the other adults, and trust they are such as God will own in the day when he makes up his jewels. June 19th. Visited my people with two of the reverend correspondents. Spent some time in conversation with some of them upon spiritual things. And took some care of their worldly concerns. This day makes up a complete year from the first time of my preaching to these Indians in New Jersey. What amazing things has God wrought in the space of time for these poor people. What a surprising change appears in their tempers and behavior. How are morose and savage pagans in a short space of time transformed into agreeable, affectionate, and humble Christians. And their drunken and pagan howlings turn into devout and fervent prayers and praises to God. They, who are sometimes darkness, are now become light in the Lord. May they walk as children of the light, and of the day. And now to him that is a power to establish them according to the gospel, and the preaching of Christ to God only wise, be glory, through Jesus Christ, forever and ever. Amen. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket.
The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.